Today's reading is in Mark chapter 3, 7 through 19. God speaks to us in his word. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around the Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he was told, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and he called him to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanjeris, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you. Um, Mark is where we are today. And just want to extend another just happy Father's Day to the dads in the room. Man, we, we love you guys. Um, today, though, we're continuing in Mark. And um, what we've learned up to this point is Mark is a really fast-paced gospel. There are four gospels. And Mark is the most fast-paced. It's like it's only 16 chapters, but... Every single line in this gospel is packed with a lot of information and a lot of just power. And so as we go through Mark, I want to encourage you, um, well, really, as we go through any book of the Bible, you should really pay attention. But particularly Mark is like, if you don't, you'll miss something. And so, um, so I'm going to try to match the intensity and the brevity of Mark today. Um, we're going we're gonna to hear about one of the kind of the shortest but most impactful, uh, uh, simple, like not complicated, not complex concepts, but also it's not easy. And that is the kingdom of Jesus on earth. What does it mean to, for Jesus to have inaugurated? We, we might, you might hear that word a lot, God's kingdom on earth. What does it mean for him to bring his kingdom on earth? How does he do it? And this little section of scripture is really is like a snapshot of the ministry, the plan of Jesus to unfold his kingdom on earth. And you might have heard those terms before. You might have heard the term disciple, kingdom of God, this, that, and the other. You might be confused, and I know why you would be confused, because everybody else is confused about the kingdom of God. Some people think the kingdom of God on earth means America succeeds. Some people think of the kingdom of God on earth means um, whatever they get, whatever they want, they get. Some people think the kingdom of God on earth means I get money in my bank account and God takes care of me that way. And we're going to learn. I mean, not all of us think that, but some people do think that in the world. I think in our church, we're, hopefully we're, we're a little more privy to the actual kingdom of God than that. But by and large, we just don't know what it means for God's kingdom to come on earth. Does it mean health, wealth, and prosperity? Does it mean that I'm like comfortable and safe? 
Is that what the kingdom of God means? Again, most of us in the room would say, well, I can't mean that, but how do we practice it? Well, today, I think if we pay attention, we're going to hear just exactly what it means for Jesus to bring his kingdom on earth. So when you talk about the kingdom of God today, I'm going to give you two things out of this section of scripture that I think are really crucial uh, for us to learn about what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to bring God's kingdom on earth? The first thing is this. God's kingdom comes through his son. God's kingdom comes through his son. All right, Mark 3, 7 through 12. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Adamea and from beyond the Jordan and from beyond, around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard that all he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. First off, there's some obvious things. When the Bible mentions six regions and says words like great crowd, and then it goes on to describe how many regions these people came from, this is more than just like, oh, we had a good crowd at church today. This is enough people that Jesus had to withdraw from them because he thought he might be crushed. This is like as far as the eye can see people coming for him. Now, this is interesting because God brings his kingdom through his son. And here's what makes this even more kind of unique. We just learned that Jesus was in the temple. And you remember, there's another group of people around the temple, religious leaders. And there's all this talk with the religious leaders. They're always trying to like kind of catch Jesus. And somehow, like, refute him and bring up charges against him. And, and now we're at the Sabbath, right before this happens, we're on the Sabbath, and there's a man that needs healing in the temple. And religious leaders, Jesus is about to heal him, and they stop him. They say, are you supposed to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus basically tells them, I am God, the Lord. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He heals the man Religious leaders freak out like they always do. And they go and try to kill Jesus, basically start plotting for his death. The very next scene, the very next scene are all these people from six different regions coming to be healed. God's bringing his kingdom through his son. People have heard of him and they want healing too. It's interesting that the people that want healing aren't people that claim to know God the most. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, Jesus said earlier in Mark 2. Jesus is showing us what his kingdom is like. I didn't come for the healthy. I didn't come for those that think they got it figured out. I didn't come for the agenda-driven. I didn't come for people that can't be formed, can't be humbled, can't be discipled. I came for the sick. What's he saying? 
Does that mean he's literally coming for those with physical diseases? Well, no. I mean, he does heal them. But what it does mean is he's coming to people that know that they're sick. There's a story in the Bible about a man at a pool. It's, this, it's the pool of Bethesda. And he'd been there for years and years and years. And he was like known as the guy at the pool that needs healing. And there was this kind of like this, uh, this scene where people would think that angels would come down and stir the waters of the pool and then people would get healed. Well, this man had been there for years and years and years and never gotten healed. Well, Jesus comes on, the Lord of angels comes on the scene. And here's the man at the pool of Bethesda. And what's interesting is Jesus asked him a question that doesn't make a lot of sense if you don't examine it. He asked him, do you wish to be healed? Do you want to be made whole? It's a pretty good life for a man at the pool of Bethesda. He's known as that guy. I'd imagine him come kind of walking in. Here's the guy again. Everybody's paying attention, feel really sorry for him. He obviously made a living doing that. Not a bad life. Comfortable in his darkness, comfortable in his sin, and comfortable in his sickness. We do the same thing. That's why the question towards the man at the pool of Bethesda was so important. Do you wish to be healed? Do you know that you're sick? If today you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, man, I'm really glad he's preaching this message because I can think of so many people that need to hear it. Then my challenge would, to you would be, are you the man at the pool of Bethesda? It sure seems that way because what Jesus came for is for me and you to say, I need to hear the word of God today. I need it. I need to repent of my sin. I am sick. I need help. It was the presumably most righteous in the room, religious leaders, Pharisees, that rebuked Jesus. And now you have all these crowds of sick, sick people. Jesus is showing us how to live, how to bring his kingdom on earth, and he's showing us how to be true human beings. So the first is this. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him. He shows us how to be human. Multiple times in the Gospels, we see Jesus leave ministry opportunity to go and be with his friends and his father. This is Jesus' identity. He knows who he is. He knows that ministry can wait. What's most important is the people around him and communion with his father. Jesus is teaching us a lesson. He's teaching us that gospel living is not Lone Ranger. We need people. You need each other. And you need communion. Rest and communion with the Father comes first. Then ministry, but never alone. He's showing us how to be human. The other thing is this. Jesus shows us who the kingdom is for. We talked about this. When the great crowd heard all he was doing, they came to him. Mark makes a point to contrast two things. The size of the crowd, six different regions. And then also, like we talked about, the contrast of these people versus the religious leaders. Again, it's interesting that religious leaders of the day, the ones who knew more, prayed more, had the most opinions, 
were the ones who tried to overthrow Jesus. In contrast, people who worked jobs, made very little, uneducated, diseased, and not known in society at all, had no hesitation to go to Jesus. I'm saying to say this. The kingdom of Jesus is not for the expert. It's not. You should study about Jesus. You should study concepts. Theological books, man, they're so important. Doctoral books are so important. Even things like the patristics and just the history of the church. I love all of that. I think it's so important. The reason... At its core, why we should know about God is to know God. That's the reason. It's so easy to know about God, but never actually know God. When the Bible says, Jesus says, I pray that you will know the Father, the word there is a word of intimacy. It's actually the same word that is used to describe when Adam knew Eve. And when Abraham knew Sarai, it's a word of intimacy. Same translation. Jesus says, I pray that you will know the Father. It's not sexual. It's intimate. It is easy and maybe even likely for some of us in the room to know things about God but not actually ever know him. Jesus said, I came for the sick. James 4, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What is it like to have all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everywhere, one who spoke the universe into existence to have his will in opposition to yours? Oppose the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's fitting this is where we're at on Father's Day. Because I'm... Again, I'm preaching to myself. As men, like it's just so easy for us to fix things, think we got it figured out, man. It's so hard for us to listen to somebody and let them tell us about our life. It's really hard for men to submit to authority. It's really hard for it's hard for me. <laughs> I I struggle with rules. I don't know if anybody on staff here knows that. I struggle with rules. I struggle with them. And sometimes it's good, though, for me to just say, like, I don't necessarily even agree with this, but it's good for my heart to submit. Now, think about what that did in your heart just now to think about that. I, even saying those words, I start to cringe. It's actually good for us, though. If you are trying to follow a Jesus that only agrees with you, You're not following Jesus at all. There's a version of you that you think should be calling the shots. That's the idol that you've made, actually. Men, listen to me. You've actually made an idol to an idealized version of yourself that you follow. It's not Jesus. He's different than you. He actually knows more than you do. He's done the math. He knows the whole universe revolves around him. So men, listen, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility is something that you and I should pursue in our lives. 
Jesus shows us who the kingdom is for. It's not for the whole. It's for the sick. Finally, he shows his authority. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. Whenever they saw him, didn't even take words. That's authority. So I just want you to put the pieces together. The kingdom of God is for the humble. The kingdom of God is not for the whole. Because the fact is nobody's whole. They just think they are. The kingdom of God comes in authority. When Jesus preaches, there's authority. Our best bet is to submit to him. Second thing I want you to see is how the kingdom of God comes through us. The first is it comes through his son. He inaugurates the kingdom. He shows us how to be human. He shows us who the kingdom is for. He shows that what it's like to follow him. It's submitting to him. It's humility. And now, here's the turn. The kingdom of God is, also comes through us. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom, whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they may be with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Real quick, this is another sermon for another day, but Jesus changes our name. Simon means shifting one. Peter means rock. (laughs) Jesus changed his name. He changes ours as well. James, the son of Zebedee, and, the, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Jesus changes our name. John becomes the apostle of love. Jesus named them sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus wastes no time here getting to work on the plan to bring his kingdom on earth. And here's the plan. God has chosen to bring his kingdom on earth through people. People, not pros, not professional Christians, not just religious leaders, just men, just women, just people. That's how he's chosen to bring his kingdom. Becoming kingdom people means We become true disciples of Jesus. We have to follow Jesus in order to bring his kingdom. And this is the plan. There's nothing else coming after this. And to be more specific, God's plan to bring his kingdom on earth is through people also called the church. He built the church. He is the head of the body. There's no plan B. There's no plan A minus. There's no, well, I hope this works. It will work. It will. He said it would. The gates of hell won't prevail against the church. And so, men in the room, you are the plan. You are the plan to bring God's kingdom. Women in the room, you're the plan to bring God's kingdom. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go to Christian university. You don't have to know a bunch you got to do what the crowd does. Chase after Jesus. That's what you've got to do. you got to be humble. 
God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But just be you, speak and live the kingdom of God. Be a disciple of Jesus. How do we walk to Jesus? How do we chase after him? How do we become disciples? A few real quick things. Disciples are separate from the world. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. Going up on the mountain is both practical and spiritual here. Jesus is again retreating, but this time it's not for rest, it's for mission. Being a disciple of Jesus means that we have a different view and a different footing in this world. It means that we walk a different road and put our hope in a person, not in things. If you're going to be a disciple, you have to continually, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, focus in on Jesus and be a people set apart. What it doesn't mean is that you don't engage our world. That's nonsense. It's ridiculous and looks nothing like Jesus to not engage our world. But what it does mean is that we are different than the world. We think differently. We act differently. We treat each other differently. We pray for each other. We outdo one another in showing honor. We don't be combative. (laughs) I mean, uh, Christian, I realize you have opinions. I realize you have ideals. But one of the marks of following Jesus is to not be quarrelsome. So let me just say something that is probably obvious that needs to be said. Do what you do. Use whatever you can to promote the gospel. Not your own agendas, not your own ideals, not your own arguments. Social media, I think it can be a tool. (laughs) I don't love it. For whatever reason, I was off Facebook for a long, long time, man, and when it snowed us in and temperatures were 100 below and we had to cancel church on Valentine's Day, I just was sitting at home. I was like, I, I literally can't go outside because that would be painful. <laughs> I decided to get back on Facebook, and I still, I'm like, man, why did, I wish there was somebody here that would have just warned me about getting on Facebook again. Um, primarily I got back on it because Facebook market's awesome and it's way better than Craigslist. Anyway, it's another conversation for another day. But let me just, let me just, uh, invite you into something. Not just that, just implore you, like, don't be quarrelsome. Don't be quarrelsome. Be resolved. Have your identity rooted in Jesus. If you're going to spend time talking about something on Facebook, talk about Jesus. (laughs) Don't be quarrelsome. If you're going to be a disciple, you have to continually mentally, emotionally, spiritually focus in on Jesus. Become a person who is set apart. Don't get caught up in the tornado of crazy, weird controversies what Paul talks about in Timothy. Vague conspiracies. Don't get caught up in that, man. Focus on Jesus. Disciples 
are also, also called to Jesus. This is our primary calling. He appointed the 12 whom he named, also named apostles so that they may be with him. They're called to Jesus. And he appointed. They didn't choose. They were chosen. And their first calling was to Jesus. Jesus pulls them out of their lives, jobs, careers, and says, come follow me. He pulls them out of everything. Come follow me. He's not offering a suggestion. He doesn't say, hey, you guys should really think about this. Talk with your people. Uh, get back to me. I'll send you an email to check in on you. Maybe if you're up for it, if, just think about like, does it sound fun for you to give up your entire life and your career and your family and all your money and any hopes of like having a career, not knowing where you're going to find food? Does that sound fun? How about not knowing where you're going to sleep or if you're even going to live? You might die. Actually, you probably will die. So, but it sounds fun, so why don't you come and do that? That's not what he says. He's the Lord of the harvest. He says, come, follow me. And guess what they did? They gave up their careers and their money and their life and their family and any hope of a career and any hope of a future. And they said, yes, and that's what you are. That's what you are as a disciple. God comes to you. Jesus comes to you. He pulls you out. When he sets his calling on you, the reason you're here is not because you got wise. It's not because you got smart. It's not because all of a sudden you figured out, I think this is the best option for my life and my 401k is to follow Jesus. That's not why you followed him. You followed him because he called you. That's why. Our first calling as disciples is a calling to Jesus. So many get sold a bill of goods that following Jesus is simply about getting what you want, being a part of a cultural religion, or escaping hell. And it's not. Those are all very much byproducts of our life with Jesus, but what it is is about laying your life down for his life. And then when you do that, you find life. It's about denying yourself, not throwing pity parties, serving the people around you, and ultimately, life and communion with him. It is called to him. Being called to Jesus means you surrender your will. I surrender my will. And I say, yes, Lord, I'm listening. Tell me what to do. What do you want me to do with my money, God? What do you want me to do with my family? What do you want me to do with my habits? What do you want me to do with my pride? Yes, I'll tell me what to do. Disciples are called to Jesus, and finally, disciples are called for Jesus. We get this twisted a lot. We think that being called to Jesus means that we have to do stuff for him first, and it's not. We're called to him, and then we're called for him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. So that's the first thing, real quick, just to go back, called to Jesus, he appointed them. The first thing it mentions is so that they might be with him. The second thing it mentions is 
and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. We are called to Jesus, then we are called for Jesus. And here is our calling. It's simple. Called to be sent, not to live in a Christian bubble, not to spend all of our time at church, not to build massive mega church malls where we do every single thing inside the church building and don't know any of our neighbors or what's going on in the city or what's happening in the town or what's happening in the world. That's not what we're called to. We're called to be sent. Church gathered and church scattered. We're also called to preach. The gospel is news. It doesn't do us justice to just preach the gospel by being a kind person. You should preach the gospel by being a kind person, but you should also preach the gospel. The gospel is news to be shared. When God gives you an opportunity with coworkers or neighbors or friends or whatever, and you're praying for the three people in your life that don't know Jesus, and you take opportunity and say, Lord, let me have an opportunity to share the gospel with them, and then we actually open our mouths and say, let me tell you about Jesus. Man, your life is crazy right now. I know you seem like it's going straight down all the time. Let me tell you about the one who offers abundant life. Let me tell you about Jesus. It's we're called to be sent, we're called to preach, and we're also called to have authority. This is important because God has chosen to bring his kingdom on earth through you and through me. And I know myself, that's actually scary. Me saying that just now scared me a little bit. But God has chosen to bring his kingdom through us to be sent, to preach the good news, and to have authority. Sometimes I think we forget that life is a vapor. Here today and gone the next. All flesh is like grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Sometimes I think we forget that. You don't have long on this planet. You just don't. It's a vapor. Be called to authority. Have authority, realize your authority in Jesus, and be humble to preach against the darkness. Darkness is all around you, man. These counties that we're representing here, darkness is everywhere. You actually have authority in Jesus' name to go and push back darkness in your town. Be sent, preach, and have authority. Jesus came and inaugurated the kingdom of God and then he put his deposit into us to be the way that he brings his kingdom on earth. That's you and me. It, it's not the pastor and it's not like clergy, laity, divide. It's all of us Christians. Let's be kingdom people. Lay down your life. Men, I think this is appropriate for us on Father's Day. Lay down your life. Lay down your ego. Lay down your agenda. Follow Jesus. Say yes to whatever he's calling you to do. And at the very least, we know that he's calling us to embody the fruit of the Spirit. Say yes to him. Let's take the table today. Let's stand together.